0: You're listening to Just Ask the Question Adventures and Reporting with your host,
1: Brian Karam. Hi, and welcome back to Just Ask the Question. I am your host, Brian Karam. With me today, Ryan Macbeth. And joy to have you, Ryan. Uh, he's an intelligence analyst, software architect, cybersecurity guy or expert. And a YouTube content creator. He rolls his eyes, I know. Content creator of military and intelligence topics. And when we come back, uh, we're going to go to a quick break, as usual. And when we come back, we're going to be talking a lot about misinformation and disinformation on the internet in the age of connectivity. So stick around, we'll be right back. Hi, we are back. It is just ask the question I am your host Brian Karaman. with me as I said before is uh, Ryan Macbeth Ryan, thanks for joining us today. I really appreciate it. thank you so much. It's fantastic to be on the show and uh i i I am fascinated having seen your videos and uh, and read some of the articles uh written about and from you i i this is a topic that's near and dear to my own heart as, as a reporter, and it's about misinformation and disinformation. And I guess I want to start by asking you, what got you interested in doing what you're doing, your background in the military, or was it something else?
2: Uh, it's, it's sort of, uh, I guess the military was part of it. Uh, when, I, when I first created my YouTube channel, I was mainly focused on software programming, explaining people how to pass different kinds of job interviews. And uh, when the war in Ukraine kicked off, I turned into sort of half content creator about how the military works and what was going on with the war in Ukraine and half programming. And one of the things that I realized doing this, this content creation was that there was a heck of a lot of misinformation and disinformation out there about these certain topics. And what I realized was that the average person just simply can't comprehend how the military works. And so they are very susceptible to being misled in how the military works. And uh, once I teamed up with a company called Cyabra, which is a company that uh, helps analyze online profiles for inauthentic actors, that's when I got more and more into the subject of who was misleading
1: whom. And what you, what's your, when you look at it, when you've analyzed it, uh, who is misleading whom? What, what what do you believe is going on?
2: Boy, it's all over the map. It's um, it, you see it done with both political parties. You see it done with uh, state actors such as Russia or uh, even non-state actors such as sophists. You know, these are people who sympathize with Russia, either because they're Internet edge lords or because they uh, feel an affinity toward Russia uh, you see it there. You see it uh, even in in some companies, in some uh, corporate um, arenas, such as uh, the campaign against Bud Light. Yeah, that uh, that that was a that campaign was essentially that the it was fired. It was fueled by inauthentic actors who just wanted to cause chaos. And I think we're coming very close to a reality where we're going to see inauthentic actors engaging in war against other brands in order to lower the uh, public perception of a brand and increase the public perception of another brand. Wow, that's corporate force. Absolutely, absolutely. And uh, that's actually a big push that I'm making with Cyabra, trying to get out to conferences and tell people, if you don't have a strike team that is constantly looking for damage to your brand, then you are going to be behind the eight ball and really surprised when inauthentic actor launches a campaign against your organization.
1: What's, what's your background? Where'd you grow up? I I'm curious as to what got you into all of this.
2: Uh wow. Uh, so I, I grew up in New Jersey. Uh, and uh, no, you, got, you don't
1: have the accent.
2: No, I, uh, so this actually isn't my real accent. My real accent is more like this. This is actually how I talk. But when I, my first when I came down to Washington D.C. I, after uh, I left the military in uh, two thousand fourteen, I came down to D.C. Where'd you serve? Uh, God, everywhere. I was in Iraq. Uh, I was in Egypt. I was in Germany. Um, what all branch? Over, uh, our Army and Army National Guard. And uh, so I, I went all over the place. I was deployed during Operation Dory Freedom, and. Um, you know it uh when i when i came to dc i realized my accent was people thought i was an idiot you know i had i had two degrees at the time i had a degree in computer science and a master's in engineering and so i actually worked on my accent and instead of talking like this i started to talk like this with kind of a flat kind of maryland mid-atlantic yeah accent. and that it people it it people thought i was smarter <laughs> you know <laughs> like I I, I I know when i go back to new jersey you know i'll go to philly i'll go to you know the 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 best place in philadelphia to get a to get a cheesesteak isn't uh, pats or geno's you go to tony lukes right go to tony lukes and don't get a cheesesteak get a cup yeah <laughs> get a cup with a tony lukes so when i when i go back to new jersey it's like i, I you know code switch right back into uh, right back into a jersey boy but uh, I got into the the software side of things because uh, I wanted to. Uh, I was really into computers in high school. My dad, he was a warehouse worker. He didn't really have the money for for college, so if you can't get money from your father, you get it from your uncle. Yeah. Yeah. Uncle yeah. Sam. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I got I got both of my my master my computer science degree while serving uh, as an infantryman, and then uh, my a master's in engineering management uh, while serving as well. And then later, uh, it was actually about about three years ago, I was in a meeting with a guy at this company I worked for. He was talking about cross-domain solutions. And if anyone uh, from DIA is listening, I promise I'm not going to talk about cross-domain solutions. But I used to work on cross-domain solutions, which is a software solution that sends stuff from the low side to the high side or an area of low trust to an area of high trust. So like an unclassified area to a secret area. And this one guy, he said something in the meeting that was wrong about cross-domain solutions. And you know, I've always believed that um, if you're going to, you know, people always remember how you made them feel. So if you're gonna correct somebody, don't correct them in the meeting, unless someone's about to make actionable, uh, an actionable decision on that bad information. So I waited till after the meeting. And then the guy, uh, after, after the meeting, went up to the guy and I said, hey, um, you know, I used to write cross-domain solutions, and what you said was wrong. Here, here's how this thing actually works. And he said to me, well, I'm the guy with the CSSP, which is this security certificate. I said, okay, watch this. I went back to college. <laughs> I got my MSc in cybersecurity. just So the next time he said that, I could uh, I could tell him, well, I'm the guy with a master's degree, and... <laughs> so that, I know that's 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 pretty petty, but uh, well, it was an inspiration. It, it was, and Accenture paid for it, which you know I, I loved working for Accenture when I was there. It's a fantastic company,
1: uh, and I'm, I'm glad I was able to give Accenture that extra uh, initiative. Well, the one thing I find fascinating, and what uh, when I look at your videos as a reporter, you're following what I consider uh, good habits as a reporter and verification of facts. And, you know, I tell reporters that work for me, there's a difference between misinformation and disinformation. Disinformation is the willing, uh, the willful spreading of the lies and misinformation is the passing along passively of the lies that you believe. Uh, one is far more dangerous than the other, but they both are, are, are problems. And I also tell people, you know, that come to work for me, look, they'll tell me This is what I think. And I'll go, uh, I don't care what you think. I barely care what I think. What do you know? So when you go through your uh, videos, particularly the one that the F-35 conspiracy, since I had covered that from the White House, um, meshed exactly with how a, a good reporter treats facts and how you have to track things down. That gumshoe effort just to put together that 20 minute video. I, I found fascinating. How long did it? T- how long does it take you to do that? And how do you do it?
2: Boy, uh, it usually takes me about one hour of research and editing time to do one minute of video. Wow! So yeah, that's about right. The video only of thirty-five took about probably about twenty hours worth of work, roughly. Uh, sometimes a little bit easier, and sometimes it's it's just my style. Um, I can I can knock out. a uh, a 20 minute video in about 25 minutes, just talking. But then comes the editing portion where I have to go out and find images. And not not only do I have to find these images, they have to be the appropriate images. They have to be licensed correctly, right? You you, you can't steal images from Getty, right? You gotta go get that. Um, And then usually the way I work videos, every 10 to 15 seconds, I have a new picture or a new um, clip a new video. clip. So I need to go find that information. I need to throw it on there. I need to uh, edit it. And then I need to send it up to YouTube and hope that it doesn't get demonetized. And if there's an advertiser, let's say I'm doing a commercial for Ridge Wallets, which come in a multitude of colors and styles, I need to send that video up to Ridge. They need to approve it. They need to approve the ad. And that could take you know about uh, one to three days depending on, you know, whether people are working or not. So that, uh, and the, the great, that the fun part happens when you do a video, you send it up to YouTube to get approval by the client. Like let's say one of your advertisers like ground news, which is one of my sponsors. So, uh, you go on to ground news and you, you, I do the ad, do the YouTube video, put the video up, the video gets demonetized. Well, now, Nobody, fewer people are going to see a demonetized video because YouTube wants to make money as well. Right. So then you appeal that. And then maybe YouTube app- approves the video for monetization. Maybe it doesn't. So there's always this, uh, you know, it's this this constant effort to put out content and put out content that is compatible with YouTube's guidelines, even though those guidelines are constantly
1: shifting and changing. Uh, well, tell me about what drew you into like the Gaza armor story uh, the Russian story, the F thirty five conspiracy. These are you. You've gained what a million viewers on YouTube, something like that.
2: Uh, Eight hundred thousand or so. Yeah. I'll be a million soon, most likely. Yeah.
1: And but, but- so there's a true value to it. You're like you're almost like a one man Snopes for uh for for military information. Um, and having been in Ukraine myself, I was there at the beginning of that war. I find that I'm always constantly correcting people who get the facts wrong about what's going on there, but you do it in such a fashion that you just, you walk right down the path. This led to this led to this led to this. Um, is th- is that what attracts people to, to uh, what you put out? Or is it the fact that you're dispelling the, the, the information in the fashion that you do?
2: I, I think what attracts people is that I don't talk down to them. You know, I, um, I, I, what I, when I do a story, or when I do a video, I should say, um, I, I don't assume my audience is stupid, but at the same time, I also, I, I, there's a term I, in the intelligence community, at least in the one I was in, where you say we show people the box. So if you're gonna explain the box, you have to show people the box, you show them all around the box, you show them inside the box, you show them every single corner. So I'm not, Saying that you're stupid, but at the same time, I am explaining this box from the ground up so that the, at the, the, by the time I am done, there can be no doubt what I'm saying is correct. And I publish all of my sources or where I got you know, certain kinds of information. Uh, I can't really do that on YouTube anymore because YouTube uh, doesn't allow clickable links anymore in short videos. So now I do that uh, on my Substack, on RyanMcBeth.substack.com. Now I can put up PDFs and I can put up um, uh, the PowerPoint presentations and all of my sources and all the links. So theoretically, anybody should be able to reach the same conclusion if they follow the same if they follow the same process. That's that's the scientific method, right? Yeah, what a concept! I think, <laughs> I think people like the way I, I explain things. And I lay everything out. And if they want to, they can follow along as well. And nothing is hidden. Everything is on my sub stack or in links
1: embedded in the video. And they can find out this information for themselves. Have you had any pushback from the military or from the media? The military is great. Uh,
2: the media, you know, I, I, what's weird is I, I have fans in the media who were fans of me, <laughs> which I was, weird. you know, when I, when I first started doing this, I called myself a journalist. I, I don't really think I am anymore. Yeah, I you,
1: are. Term,
2: you are. You are. Know, I, I guess I prefer the term intelligence professional or intelligence analyst.
1: Yeah. Um, that, you're still a reporter, brother. I, journalist I, I, is an out of work <laughs> <laughs> reporter. You're a reporter. You're reporting. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a reporter. Um,
2: I was actually surprised that uh, people in the mainstream media were fans of me, um, which was kind of shocking. And one of the ways I, I realized, you know, how to do this, how to like cite good sources, was I actually knew a guy from the Philadelphia Inquirer who I wrote to many years before because my roof was leaking. And uh, the the contractor who did my roof, uh, doing Google searches to find the owner of that contracting place, it just so happened this reporter got a story on that contractor. It's like all the reporter, you know, 10 years later, I'm calling the reporter again, saying like, hey, how do I be a reporter? Just tell me what I'm just give me like the cliff notes on what I'm supposed to do. Um, I think uh, there was another woman, Emmanuel Salada. She uh, works. Who is the who is the person from
1: the Inky? if I can ask. Honestly,
2: I can't remember. Di uh, uh, Palmo or Di Francesco, I can't remember. It was from the Philadelphia Inquirer. I'll yeah. Google search his name if you give me a second. We're in the middle of a podcast here. But uh, um, last <laughs> no, right. year... I just wondered around, if it was
1: my buddy, George Anastasia, great reporter from the Philadelphia Inquirer.
2: But go I'm ahead. Born, like, I can't recall that this uh, this one woman, Emanuel Salaba, uh, when I, I was supposed to do a video on a company called BioFire, and essentially, I, uh, I own a couple of guns, but I, I'm not a gun guy. And uh, BioFire uh, invited me out to their facility in Colorado to review their new smart gun. Well, I'm not a, really a gun guy, but I am a software guy. And so I wanted to review their gun from a software standpoint. Uh, this BioFire gun is essentially a gun that will only fire when uh, it detects it has been biometrically unlocked right by an authorized user and it uses face recognition and fingerprint recognition i want to get how does the actual software work on this gun and they sent they they actually offered to pay my airfare out there they offered to uh pay for my hotel they you know offered to to pay for my food and i contacted emmanuel Saba and i was like um am i allowed to do this if i was a reporter she goes no you can't accept anything from that. right and thank you and I wrote a totally honest review of the BioFire gun and how the software worked. And uh, then BioFire sent me uh, a package, like a thank you gift, T-shirt, like a Yeti cup, some stickers. And I, I actually had to send it back.
1: Yeah. Well,
2: no one's ever going to know that I did that, right? Well, I guess now. You know. will. <laughs> you, but. In order to be, I, another thing I did uh, for Ground News, I'm actually a Ground News subscriber. I paid 99 bucks for their vantage plan. And um, you know I did not accept a discount or Ground News for free because I actually use it as a tool. So I guess uh, I, I owe that thanks to Emanuela and to that reporter from the Philadelphia In- Inquirer
1: to teach me how to do things the right way. Now, before we go to break, we asked this before we started, cigar aficionado bourbon drinker am i correct on both
2: i uh i love smoking cigars and i i love uh, bourbon mainly rye angels and rye so what's your
1: favorite bourbon
2: uh, Mostly, uh, I would say bourbon. Um, ooh, probably Basil Hayden if I were to go with Rye, Angels Envy Rye. I love that
1: stuff. Those are both pretty good. I, and I'm very happy you didn't say uh, <clears throat> Jack Daniels because that's not either one. That's neither a bourbon nor a rye. But uh, the, so, your favorite cigar?
2: Uh, favorite cigar? Oh, boy. Uh, probably a uh, Kristoff
1: or maybe a Partagas Black Label or a uh, Ceo Brasilia. Those would be... Uh, oh, those are all good. Um, I, I gave up on Cohibas a, a, a while back because they're not really what they used to be. So that's... I, but, but the Christoph Salai.
2: That might depend on where you get them from. I, I've actually had people ask me, like, oh, do you want me to smuggle you Cuban cigars? And uh, you know, honestly, yeah, there's so many good cigars in America
1: that I don't need to subsidize a communist country. <laughs> there you go. Well, we're going to take a a short break and when we come back we want to talk a little bit about what people have learned from your interactions with them and what you've learned from them so stick around we'll be right back
0: hey just ask the question podcast listeners if you've got a second head on over to twitter and follow our official page jatq podcast that's jatq podcast In this modern age of misinformation and deceit, Just Ask the Questions newsletter cuts through the BS and gets to the truth. With Brian's in-depth articles, columns, and exclusive content not found anywhere else. Get the scoop and stay in the know. Sign up for the Just Ask the Question newsletter now at substack.com slash J-A-T-Q podcast.
1: Hi, we're back. It's just ask the question. I am your host Brian Carman With me, cybersecurity expert Ryan uh, Macbeth. And Ryan, I when we left, I what I'm really fascinated about is what what have you learned in your endeavor since uh, the start of the Ukrainian conflict when you when you began looking for disinformation and misinformation. What's what's the biggest lesson you can impart on people who's looking at news online?
2: Probably the the biggest lesson that I've learned is that America has essentially lost their baseline knowledge of how the military works. And I think that uh, World War II, and to a lesser extent Vietnam, contributed to uh, a general portion, a significant portion of the population who has served in the military. So it's a, lot, it's a lot harder, it's a lot more difficult to fool someone when they have that base level of institutional knowledge. Like uh, how many goals does a soccer
1: field have? Right. How many? Uh, two, yeah. Two, right? right?
2: Yeah. All right. And that's probably because you, you might have kids who played soccer, you played soccer, you've walked it. The soccer field, you coach soccer. So if I were to come to you and I were to say, no, a soccer field actually has two goals, you would believe, right? It would right. take a significant amount of me convincing for you to believe that a soccer field has four goals instead of two. Now, it used to be that the military was an acceptable place for a young man, in some circumstances, a young woman to go to as an alternative to high school. Nowadays, we're not seeing that. We're seeing less than one half, one percent of people join the military. Mm -hmm. And that has contributed to this general baseline of ignorance when it comes to how the military works. So it's very easy to show a picture and say, look, white phosphorus is being used in Israel. And yes white phosphorus is being used in israel but that picture isn't white phosphorus well i know that but the average person might not know that
1: and how is it being used as well can you say that again please and and how it's being used it's not just it's a blanket statement to say white phosphorus was used but how was it used
2: that's that's correct and that's actually something i call lip which is legal in implication persuasion um it, it's a way of uh, trying to convince somebody that you are correct by re- repeatedly um, uh, performing legalese or saying, look, Israel's using white phosphorus. OK, so, yeah, <laughs> yeah like it's, it's a legal weapon of war. Yeah. I actually I pushed back against uh, some people when they said Russia is using vacuum bombs. Well, they're not vacuum bombs they're thermobaric bombs. And, and and that might that might seem like a technicality, but there is a reason you know, for this. You need to have precision. There is there's really no vacuum. It, make, it, sound, it makes it sound so, oh, my God, they're using vacuum bombs. What's that? What's that?
1: that sounds Ooh, it sounds awful. Oh, my it, God. It awful. Well, it's
2: it's it's not good, but it's essentially an explosive that puts out an aerosol and that aerosol is detonated and that produces incredible overpressure. And the only difference between that and regular high explosive is essentially scale.
1: So the other term uh, you use that I like is a dip. You want to explain that one? Deceptive imagery persuasion.
2: So uh, deceptive Im- imagery persuasion is a way of putting mis- uh, misinformation or disinformation onto a picture to lead people into a different conclusion. Uh, one of the, uh, one, one example I like to give is of, uh, Betty White. And it's kind of tough to to explain this in, in a, in a show that only has audio, but there's this famous, uh, Facebook post of a woman who said, this was Betty White. This is Betty White today. And this is Betty White when she was 19. And it shows pictures of this gorgeous blonde woman who's taking the model pictures in a kitchen. And that's she looks great, but that's not Betty White. Right. But everyone wants to believe it's Betty White, right? Like that's that's so that that's one example of deceptive image persuasion. Or you can show a picture of President Trump and then some outlandish quote, or a a picture of President Biden and some quote taken out of context. Yes. And if if you want to believe in something badly, how easy is it to share that thing? And that just compounds the misinformation. One um, one example of misinformation that I encountered was uh, book burning. This was a couple of months ago. There were these two uh, senators from I want to say it was Missouri. I'm trying to re- remember the story here, but essentially um, they were uh, shooting flamethrowers at a winery. And it was an auction for the uh, Republican Party in uh, in this particular state. There were two state senators, and they were demoing these flamethrowers. Now, they, they weren't really flamethrowers. They were actually brush burners. Yeah. And they were brush burners that could shoot somewhat of a distance, because if you're on a farm, you have a big pile of brush, you might need to shoot that thing. And this particular company, I guess just because they can, they put uh, mounts, like rail mounts for it. So if you wanted, you could mount a, a brush burner underneath your AR-15. It was something that you could do, right? Yeah. It's probably something you'll use once in front of your friends, and then you, it's you know, this thing's heavy and you take it off. You never use it again. But what some people on the left did was they said Republicans at a literal book burning. And so I went and I researched the whole story. I found out, well, these guys were actually at a winery, at this winery, there was there was uh, a, a, an auction of these flamethrowers called Fund the Party. And these two senators, they were using the flamethrowers on boxes. Well, I guess at the winery there's some old boxes. They have to demo it on something that'll burn, right? So they put the boxes out. But how do you fight that? Uh, and it didn't help that one of the senators actually said, Well, we weren't burning books, but I will burn books of the woke agenda. Oh, all right. Well Yeah.
1: That, yeah <laughs> that you can't defend that. That's well, I'll give you one. I saw a picture and I got I think it was on Facebook, and it was a bunch of kids standing around. a a pile of, of, it looked like, books that were burning. Mm -hmm. And they said, uh, here's kids in Mississippi burning the books. I recognized the picture. It was from a Todd Rundgren album in the 70s, which was about burning Beatle albums in the 60s in the South after John Lennon had said, and, and and talk about misinformation, it was a, a quote, we're more popular than Jesus Christ. And it was actually taken out of context. Lenin said, uh, it's frightening to me to see that it, you know, in today's world, we're more we're more popular than Jesus Christ. And they just took the last into the quote. And the, so this was a, a photo that originated in like 64 or 65, but there were people passing around and had Photoshopped it. To look like the kids were burning books. And it's only because I recognize the one kid with a smile holding up what essentially was, it, it, it originally was a Beatle album, but they had replaced it with like Catcher in the Rye or, or something. And I go, well, I know that's BS because I, I, I've i seen this picture before, but uh, that I took not a lot of research, just the life experience to understand. But I find that happens a lot people fall for that misinformation because they like the picture or they like the message that and and it may in fact the message may be sound but the evidence to prove it is not
2: that's correct and, it, and what you just shown is how did you recognize this through institutional knowledge yeah We've lost so much institutional knowledge about the military that it is very easy to deceive people as to how the military
1: actually works, what do you think is the most uh, uh the biggest misconception people have about the military right now
2: oh boy that's uh that's actually a really good question. What is the biggest misconception people have about the military right now? I guess probably the, the biggest misconception is that um that everybody is uh well i would say that everybody is conservative that's one big misconception because i I serve with people of all political stripes so that that's that's one misconception it's probably pretty darn big and i guess uh the second one is that the military is a dead end or it's for people who are losers and the military can be a stepping stone to greater things in life like like me um and that's that's those are probably the two biggest misconceptions that i've seen in fact i i remember when uh when i was in uh when i was in iraq i was in iraq in uh, 2008 during the presidential election and when uh president obama when it was announced that president obama won a victory all essentially all the african americans in my unit they were like crying <laughs> they were you know they like we did it we did it guys we did it um, and that and that that is not what you would necessarily what what a stereotype, right? The average stereotype people think when they think of a soldier, they wouldn't necessarily think of people crying because they got their their president elected.
1: Well, there was one that happened recently at the Army Navy game where they had people chanting, Biden sucks, I think it was. And i I wasn't at the game. But I, I knew one of the reporters that was there, one of the sports reporters, and I called him and I said, So were they were they actually chanting that? And he goes, No. And it was superimposed over video to make it sound like they were I I have covered the military since I I, I the first Gulf War yeah. and have been in, you know, in situations with I, I with soldiers and I've never seen them disrespect any American president. It no, just doesn't do happen.
2: You don't do that. In fact, even when I when I was a platoon sergeant, you know, um, it, one big thing for me was undue influence. I was I was a platoon sergeant. I was a first sergeant for a while, and um, you don't you don't display undue influence over a soldier. So I would never talk politics uh, unless it was with a person of a similar rank, or maybe my lieutenant or something like that. Um, you don't you, you never want to unduly influence a soldier or make them feel that the command climate is against their personal beliefs. So there are some things you don't talk about. I would have a hard time believing any cadets or midshipmen would ever say something like that. Oh, um, I yeah. You can disparage the president. That's actually in uh it's specifically enumerated in the uh, unif- uh, uniform code of military justice.
1: Yes. And that speaks to your point about how people don't understand how the military works and, and that they're all uh, far, lean far right or you know, no, no one thinks they lean far left, but all, you know, a lot of people think they lean far right. I have found that there's a variety of, of opinions, but the the thing that I found overwhelmingly heartwarming about my interactions with uh, those in the military is that everybody's got everybody's back in a, in a, in a situation is in, especially in a combat situation, in a conflict situation. And none of that matters when you're being fired on. And so I I always find uh, I'm glad that you're there for that with that experience because uh, you know I didn't serve the only time I've I've served is as as a reporter and it's always and I've been in conflict zones but I've never had a problem with one member of our military ever saying anything disparaging about anyone in in command you know, publicly. <laughs> Privately, you may have your own opinions, but you don't make it public. And so, I, 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 I thank you for that. The other, th- the other question on that is, where do you think? um I, I notice that your source of disinformation, some of them are state actors. What is it that we need to worry about? If you're the casual um viewer on the internet or the casual uh, peruser of of news on the internet, what do you recommend people? do to stay aware of 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 disinformation and misinformation i
2: think what i would recommend is if something makes you feel a a very strong emotion that should be a signal that what you're reading might not be true because a lot of these state and non-state actors they appeal to a very uh, base instinct to make you feel some sort of emotion to get you to hit that share button there was something uh just uh just today where uh, a gentleman um, on Twitter uh apparently he was he's a very famous guy <laughs> and uh, actually I don't recall this person's name either but uh, this particular uh this particular gentleman sir Serko- I think his name is oh yeah Cernovich. Cernovich. Uh yeah. so uh, again that's my New, New Jersey if like, oh, it's not Irish you' doing Jay-Z <laughs> so Uh, He had said, uh, Zelensky banned elections in Ukraine. Why wouldn't his enablers do the same here? And uh, I did a little bit of research. It only took me a couple of minutes. And what I found was that apparently in Ukraine, under martial law, you can't hold elections. So this this isn't a function of Zelensky saying, no, all elections are banned. Well, the legislature enacted martial law as part of their constitution. They can't hold elections. That actually led me down the path of researching another story because uh, I wonder how you would hold an election in Ukraine if you... Yeah, I've been oh, there. It's... <laughs> that, that, that's kind of interesting. It leads me, again, uh, on the path of how did we hold elections in in 1944? How did we hold elections in 1864? How did we make sure all soldiers voted? And actually doing that research, what I found is that a lot of soldiers didn't. Didn't vote. They, they, some states... Have, some states said that uh, absentee ballots were illegal. Some states allowed soldiers to vote. And it was a little bit easier back in the Civil War because uh, usually people were from, in the same regiment were all from the same place. So yeah. a lot easier. To, oh, yes, I know that guy. That's John Smith. He's the blacksmith's son. You know, He's in our regiment. And he voted for this person and put it down the ballot and sent it back. Uh, World War II presented a, a much larger problem because you had people from all over the country serving and there were also poll taxes. How, How do you pay the poll tax if you're in a foxhole in Europe someplace or on a, on a Navy ship somewhere? So that's uh, that's going to be a good one. I, I can't wait to get, uh, get my hands into that one.
1: There's a, If you haven't read, there's a great book um, by uh, Joshua Lawrence Chamberlain, who was a uh, general in, in the civil war and um, Harper, of a lion. I think it is called great book. And he talks about, uh, the election of 1864 in there and how, uh, in Maine they were able to, to, and he's talks specifically about what you just spoke of the difficulty of getting, but everyone knew everyone else. Um, and so, but in other States, they didn't, count votes that's a great that's a that's a great story i i can't wait to see that it uh i i'll be among those who will want to see it as as a as a fan of the hit of history i i love that well,
2: fingers um fingers crossed youtube won't demonetize that
1: yeah. <laughs> well god bless you we'll try to monetize it elsewhere uh, the uh, other question I have for you in regarding misinformation and disinformation, I find that to be very helpful. If it's an, if you have an emotional reaction, be on your guard. Do you think that that i one of the things I rail against is uh, the fact that people stay stuck in their informational silos and they not they're not real critical viewers or readers of the news. And it, when it comes to military, they accept what they see almost. at, 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 you know, they accept the video. Oh, there's a crash there. That that's the one they're talking about, but it may be the smoke and the crash may be from three or four years earlier, and it may have nothing to do with the, the news at hand, but they buy it hook, line, and sinker to become a better, more critical viewer of, of news besides that, you know, be on the lookout. If, if it elicits an emotional response, what else do you recommend that viewers do?
2: That's that's actually a very good question. I know exactly what you're talking about with the uh, the fighter crash. Uh, yeah. There, there was a similar one from a few years before. I wish I could give you an answer on that. <clears throat> Unfortunately, I, I don't have an answer. The If you want a software answer, one software answer could be that every single uh, thing that we post online should be hashed, so now you have a hash code and that hash code that you're viewing can be compared to uh, similar hash codes and say, all right, well, th- this thing uh, it has a hash that's exactly the same as a hash from three years before. Now, that, that's easy to fool just by changing one pixel, and you have a different right. hash, code, right? Um, so there's that. I suppose you could also involve AI. If you have uh, some companies take a look at every frame of video and place an AI fingerprint on that. And then uh, when you upload a similar video, you have AI take a look at that video and say, "Hey, these videos are kind of similar." Maybe you flag that for moderation. Uh, the tough part is that there is so much content that uh, I don't want to say there's no way of doing that, but doing it would be extremely difficult. Um, one thing that I actually, that I actually floated as an idea, was uh, to charge people for sharing.
1: Oh. That's I, that's interesting. Think about that. That uh, would cut down on a – I, I cuz I have well the other thing I notice is I have a lot of trolls. I mean, and usually I can tell and you tell me if this is right or wrong, but sometimes the very emotional responses that you get are also indicative of, you know, a, a troll or misinformation. And I always check the ones that are have no face like if it's on Twitter. No and you click on it and they go joined You know, January of 2023. uh, You know, follows 1,002 followers. I'm going troll, and I and I block them. If you don't agree with me, and I, you know, you I know you're a real person. I'm not going to block you, even if you call me an SOB or whatever you want to call me. I really don't care. But I, I, the trolling part of it is, I, I would love it. One of my and I don't know your thoughts on it, but I'll ask in doing, in, in charging people to share, I would also like to see people be forced to post in their real name <laughs> rather than a handle. And I know some people don't like it because they like the, you know, the anonymity, but I post as me and, yeah. and I, I find that that would cut down on a lot of, but if there's, I know there's a, there's a, a downside to it as well. Your thoughts.
2: I mean, I think there's more of a downside than an upside, mainly because you might have someone who uh, identifies as queer and they want to explore different venues Uh, where they can they can see like, um, you know, why do I feel different? And hey, you know, ask questions and so on. So uh, I I I, I take your
1: I, I take that point. I understand yeah, I, I
2: can see I can see that turning into uh, instead of instead of solving. we might be solving one problem or're also creating another
1: problem. Yeah. well, I don't think there's any real quick solution to it, but and, you tell me
2: unless unless um so for trolling, like you're never going to be able to control what people say. now you can you can have moderation. What well, one option would be to uh to selectively eliminate certain kinds of negative moderation. I, I actually I get accused of moderating my YouTube channel all the time. And it's actually not me, it's YouTube. <laughs> if yeah. YouTube detects yeah. an authentic actor or they, they attack the, what you might call dirty words or keywords uh that are identified as not contributing to the conversation, they just they'll they'll shadow ban that person. They'll just effectively shunt that person's comment into into a box
1: that's locked i can go look at them but i never do i i rarely ever read the comments oh i i gave up reading comments a long time ago unless <laughs> uh, unless i'm brought up th- that they're threats and then that's
2: so, one of the things that i that i do is i do read comments that have questions that's actually a filter you can have on youtube because ah. oftentimes a person asking a question could lead to another video it's a very genuine link hey uh if, if the tank does this, why can't we have a tank do this? Oh, wow, uh, Good what, question. Good for good. a video, so I often read the questions, uh, just because it it often creates a, a new video that enlightens people even more.
1: Yeah, I, I'm sorry. Let me moderate what I said. <laughs> and I'll, I'll, <laughs> but, I'll, but I'll actually read them. I don't react to them, or if I do react to them, it's usually thank you for reading or thank you for viewing, even if it's an insult. But I try to. I try to put those aside, but questions, legitimate questions, Brian, how do you know this was said, uh, you know, on the North lawn of the white house, or Brian, how do you know this was said in Congress? And usually I, I try to report on what I've seen with my own two eyes while well, I was there. And here's the video. Well,
2: hey, you, uh, you went to jail, didn't you for like protecting a, a Yeah,
1: sword? For, yeah, <laughs> yeah, four times. <laughs> That's that was that was not fun. That's,
2: but, yeah, I you know I i had actually uh, some some Israelis have actually reached out to me and they they've given me um, and, and again sometimes you don't know whether it's soldiers who are just complaining <laughs> or like real. Right. But I've had some soldiers say we don't have good body armor, or there aren't enough rifles to go around, you know. And I'm like, all right, do I talk about this? Or do I, it's very, you don't know who you're
1: talking to on the internet. Yeah, right? that's exactly right. And you and don't know what their motives can, are.
2: Could this be a plant who's trying to to get me to say Israeli soldiers don't have all the rifles they need? Or is this uh, someone who is upset that over 140% of uh, soldiers, you know, the the Israeli army was expecting a certain number of people to show up for duty. And apparently 140% of people showed up. Wow. And there just wasn't enough equipment for everybody. So they just send people home. And, you know, plus it, it, at a certain point, like you can't, you can't, uh, Israel has a a knowledge-based economy. Well, it's great. You have all these people volunteering. Like, you know, that's great. I'm glad you're volunteering. Please go home and work at your software company. And make money for the state of israel that's that's the best you can do right now so you get up some guy who is upset that he doesn't get to fight right i'm going to write ryan Macbeth. i'm going to tell him they didn't have enough rifles right so yeah you have to be you know like you know it's guy. you
1: gotta wait well i've never had a confidential source give me information that didn't have an axe to grind the 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 test is is the information solid and is it real uh, and that's the that's where I have to do my job and not take what they say at face value. With yeah, that, that said, before we go to a, a next break, I'd like you to tell me what do you think are the two biggest pieces of misinformation in the Ukrainian conflict and in the Middle Eastern conflict right now?
2: Oh boy, the two biggest pieces of misinformation, both the Ukrainian conflict and the Middle Eastern conflict, um, probably the biggest piece of misinformation is that Ukraine is destined to lose. They might certainly not win in the sense of a surrender ceremony on the battleship Missouri. Right. But winning for Ukraine might look like Ukraine keeping the territory they have now and having UN observers or UN peacekeeping force in Crimea and Donbas. That might be what winning looks like. Losing looks horrible. Yeah, that, that looks like Ukraine gets essentially absorbed back into Russia. Um, and the biggest piece of misinformation in Israel, boy, that's, uh, that, there is just so much. I would like to say yeah. uh, how everything is white phosphorus. That might be a good, uh, a good source of, uh, of misinformation. But probably the biggest piece of misinformation, uh, the, at least the one single piece, was the, uh, the hospital bombing on the Ali Arab hospital, where Israel didn't get the benefit of the doubt that it didn't intentionally bomb that hospital. And so I I would probably say the biggest piece of misinformation is that Israel is bombing indiscriminately when, uh, in actuality, they use very expensive weapons called JDAMs, which cost between $21,000 and and $36,000 a pop. And that's just not something you drop on a building for the lulls.
1: Right. That's, yeah. Amen. In Ukraine, I'm going to, I don't know the Middle East because uh, I'm not going to speak to that because I haven't been there, but I was in Ukraine. And I can tell you from being there, there's no bloody way that Russia could take over that entire country without killing everyone in it because they are so determined to hold on to their. I mean, I remember walking into a farm. And this guy said, uh, you're from the United States. And I said, yeah. And he goes, I hear you have a lot of guns there. And I I go, well, yeah. And he goes, bring them here. We'll kill Russian bear. And I mean, they're not,
2: I kind of knew Ukraine was, uh, was not going to bow out of the fight when I saw them making Molotov cocktails. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And I I can tell you this, I did a video about this. A Molotov cocktail, isn't going to do a darn thing to a modern tank. It might frighten the people inside. Uh, and of course, in people. Well, what if, if you throw it in the engine compartment? Like, if you want to get back close to a tank, you Good are luck. so scared at that moment. You're not you're not pitching a Molotov cocktail into a into a into something the size of a shoebox, two shoeboxes.
1: Yeah. yeah.
2: So, uh, but the fact that these people, and it could work if you throw a Molotov cocktail into an open hatch, you get lucky,
1: or there's people riding on you the vehicle. Kill day. everybody inside, but.
2: Yeah, yeah, but for the most part, a Molotov cocktail is not going to be an effective weapon against a tank. But they don't care. No, they're gonna. And if the, the Molotov cocktails run out, they'll bite them and they'll scratch. Yeah.
1: And there are signs all over the. There's. They're in kiosks. They're in malls. They're on uh, on bus stops. You know, uh, this is our ground. We live on it. You can live underneath it. You, you can. So that's. I mean they're not going gentle into that good night and uh, when you have a beer I mean they're producing a beer there that is uh, you know middle finger to Putin um that's uh, this is not a population that's really going to be that eager to to uh to surrender so I'm with you on Ukraine and I I think that's probably where that will be headed but I think it'll be a long struggle i don't it's not going to be and it will and i I mean almost kind of like a north and south korea type of thing uh possible yeah that's and so anyway well we're going to take a short break and we come back we'll have final thoughts stick around we'll be right back hey you
0: yeah you we're talking to you and we need your help as you probably know Independent journalism is a vital pillar of our democracy. Like everything else, it's not free. We're asking all longtime listeners of the show to help support us by becoming a member on Patreon. For the price of a latte, you can help guard democracy. Join us today at patreon.com slash J-A-T-Q podcast to help us keep bringing you the podcast you love and the facts you deserve.
1: Hi, we are back. It is just ask the question. I am your host Brian Kerman, With me, talking about national security issues and uh, well, more more or less misinformation and disinformation. Ryan Macbeth, who uh, I, Ryan, like I said, I I have read and seen a lot of your stuff, and I Mazel Tov and hats off to you. It's it's really well done. Um, my question, as, as we conclude this time, is what do you think are the things that people you had mentioned? beware of emotion. And correct me if I'm wrong here, don't share stuff that you aren't aware of the source of. Does that make sense to you?
2: Yes. That, that, those are some pretty good rules right there. If you're not share, sure of the source, uh, I
1: certainly wouldn't share something. Yes. And going forward, what would you like to see happen to cut down on misinformation and disinformation on the internet, particularly about the uh, the military?
2: That's, that's a good question. You know, I, um, I'm actually working on a story right now. I, I just finished this thing. And uh, this particular story was about how the New York Times got the Ali Arabia hospital story wrong. And uh, as I was writing it, uh, one of the things that I realized was that uh, literally that day, as I wake up every morning, I read the Wall Street Journal, the New York Times. I read ground news. I read Reuters. And then I read, now I read Heretz just to see what's going on in the Middle East. I read Arab news as well. And uh, there was a story about uh, these soldiers in uh, Hawaii going through jungle training. And one of the reporters who did that story misidentified a weapon system. He called an M4 rifle a machine gun. And uh, like I, I, it put the perfect cherry on the cake of the story because I, I realized something while, while doing some research that uh, the New York Times has the percentage of veterans who work for the New York Times is 0.033%. That is, you have a better chance of getting a straight in poker than you do of encountering a reporter in the New York Times who has served in the military. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean you can't write good military stories. But it certainly helps to have this baseline of knowledge. So I think that the process starts with mainstream media organizations making an effort to hire more veterans. That that's where the process starts. Particularly if
1: they're going to cover the military.
2: And it, that's only getting more important. They they got about three years until they have to cover a conflict with China. So they better start. And, Do you believe that? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Why? Um, <laughs> I, I don't know if I can go I still have my clearance. I don't know if I can go into that too much, but it, it I, I believe that because uh, China's entering a population bomb that's number one. Uh, it's gonna take another three years or so for China to build the uh, ships that it needs to actually perform that kind of crossing. And they also need to practice uh, exercises at brigade level and higher. Uh, just recently, I believe it was about five years ago, they did their first brigade-level airborne operation ever, and that's something that the 82nd Airborne
1: does about uh, twice a week.
2: Maybe not a brigade-level, but the 82nd Airborne is jumping twice
1: a week. So, I believe it'll be around. I mean, today it was dropped, the uh, the news dropped that when meeting with Xi and, and China, Biden was told they're going to take Taiwan, you know, they're going to absorb Taiwan or they will be unified. I think was the term. You think that's where it'll be in Taiwan?
2: Oh, it'll definitely. In uh, so there's two options. Really, there's next year around the election. What we'll see is an air attack where uh, China will fire rockets against Taiwan because the, the U.S. isn't going to go to war with China over that, and they'll they'll mainly be targeting Taiwan's chip fabs because that's a way that's the way Taiwan makes money. That at, um, is, is the world gonna away from from China because they launched a couple of rockets and increased the price of chips. Probably not, because China still makes a lot of stuff. So that's option one. The second option, and and literally that first option with the rockets, they send send the fist and then they unclench their fist and they say, look, we can do this the hard way. We can do this the easy way. Let's do it the easy way, reabsorb ourselves into the country. So that's option one, next year around this time, right before the elections. And the second option is about uh, three years from now, twenty twenty-seven ish, and that's it's going to take China that long to gather the forces they need to actually perform uh, either an invasion or a soft invasion. So they may have to take some islands first. If you take soft some islands first, see how the U.S. responds, see how the world responds. Let's take another island, and uh, then then it becomes like, all right, do we do we let this happen? right like that's that's the big question like we can let this happen and still get our cheap stuff or do we fight this and risk ruining taiwan in the process i hope it doesn't happen I, i really
1: do but the the word on the street is uh 2027 ish my concern is that all of this ukraine middle east uh even parts of africa uh and china is all we're fighting a proxy world war three and that it becomes hot. That's my, when I look at the world, it doesn't seem like it's becoming any safer. And I have grandchildren now, and that concerns me uh, of the future. You.
2: It It is. It seems like it is getting worse. We're seeing some rumblings from Venezuela. Uh, yeah. Want to take over persons of Guyana. I actually want to do a video on that because I'm not sure Venezuela has the uh, literally the calories to do that. I've actually heard from people who were former Venezuelan military who said, like, you know, hey, our commanding officer sold a lot of our ammunition. We don't get enough food in the army. Uh, and uh going through jungle is a very caloric intensive exercise.
1: More so uh, than a desert.
2: Uh, it, well, the desert's actually a little bit easier because at least you can yeah. supplies by truck.
1: Yeah.
2: Yeah. Um, and uh ethiopia is another thing they're sending ethiopia is a landlocked country of the uh, oh, 26 or so million people i'm doing this from memory and uh they send all their goods out through Djibouti. well you have eritrea right there broke off from ethiopia right right oh there's a port that's just sitting in eritrea, in eritrea the ua helped the uae helped build it this beautiful port that's really not getting a lot of exports. So I'm sure Ethiopia is looking at Eritrea right now, going, you know what? We could launch an operation. We could just take this strip, grab this port, and now we have a way to get our goods to the sea. And Iran. I, I, uh, Iran. That's Iran's kind of interesting because it, it's almost like the, Iran's proxy wars really with Saudi Arabia, not the united states is ancillary to this if I'm it. <laughs> um, it's it's really iran and saudi arabia uh, it's not even a sunni shia thing as much as it is a power thing yeah. so i don't necessarily see iran as a threat to the united states or as as a uh, i see them using soft power and seeing i see them use proxies but i don't see a world
1: war coming out of that And so look, final, final thing we'll, we'll touch on before we go. can't let you get out of here without this. I always ask all my guests, you gotta, well, I always ask them stones or Beatles. We'll start with that. Stones or Beatles. I don't like music. Oh, well then that's easy. All right.
2: Believe it or not, you know, I, I work between 13 and 16 hours a day. And even when I go running, Or uh, if I go for a long walk, I'm listening to a podcast or I'm listening to an audio book because literally every single second of my time is spent reading or doing research or learning.
1: So Uh, a perfect day off for you is what would it be a perfect uh, day or a week if you're going to take that off?
2: That's a good. I don't know what that would look like. Like it's. Uh, I'm reminded of uh, of a scene in. Um, oh my god! There was that movie about a world where everyone had to take a pill to equilibrium. Around the yeah. scene in the movie Equilibrium where a guy would say, oh, "How does that make you feel?" I don't understand the question. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. I, I literally, I I don't understand the question because uh, you know, being a YouTube content creator, you you constantly have to produce new content constantly. Yeah. What would a day, a week off would would be me worrying about what my subscribers were feeling because they weren't seeing my content. They, so a week off would be me worrying. But uh, I guess ideally, if I were a millionaire and I retired, I mean, I I guess a, a day off would involve me waking up and maybe going for a run. Wait, uh, maybe having a cigar, sitting on the beach.
1: There you that's go. That's, favorite meal? Fa-
2: you favorite know, meal? What? I'm sorry, say that again? Favorite meal? Favorite meal. Um, I, I eat a lot of steak. Boy, that's that's another good
1: question. I, <laughs> <laughs> like, I, I like a boneless uh, ribeye. <laughs> uh,
2: Rare. You know, I, I make cooking videos once in a while because my fans, uh, you know, one of the meals that I make a lot is something I call bachelor chow, which is literally just ground beef and
1: some chili.
2: Uh, there you go. Probably. So, what
1: book? What are you reading?
2: Uh, right now, uh, I am reading, uh, oh my God, I can't remember the darn name of the book, Pack of Measures, which is a which is a book about uh, disinformation. wow. i'm uh, I'm reading that book, and uh, I just finished a book on the second war. Well, yeah, yeah, I'm just listening to this right now. I just finished a book on um, the uh, the second war between uh, Armenia and Azerbaijan wow uh, and so favorite movie favorite movie um well die hard of course
1: she said we'll have some fun
2: yeah it's- uh i guess that uh, probably would be die hard um yeah, and what guy doesn't like Die Hard, right? It's, it's a it's movie. the ultimate Christmas movie. That's <laughs> I mean I, I do agree it is a Christmas movie. <laughs> um, but you're actually you know what's funny is people ask me like uh, you know if, if I would play a video game with them. Oh, can you get on my Halo team or can you get on oh. video? What's a video game? I, 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 I do have an Xbox, but that's because World of Tanks. Uh, I was going to do a commercial
1: for World of Tanks, and that fell through and. So you still have the Xbox. Yeah, <laughs> so yeah, I I'm going to deal with it. <laughs> Fallout. Anyway, listen, listen I, I really appreciate you being here. Uh, what would you like to plug before we take off?
2: Well, if you'd like to support the channel, you can always join my Substack, stack, RyanBeth.substack.com. You can go to my YouTube channel, Ryan Beth Programming, where you'll see all my videos that haven't been demonetized. <laughs> and uh, you know, occasionally I do sell merchandise on Bunker Brandy. You can get one of my Live Laugh Launch t-shirts. Uh, which feature the Patriot missile or the High Mors?
1: There you go. Uh, well, I'm a fan of the Patriot missiles because, like I said, I I covered the first Gulf War and they protected my my fat flaccid behind. So I'm I'm very happy about those. Uh, the name of this show is called Just Ask the Question. I am your host, Brian Kerim. You can always catch me at Salon.com uh, twice a week, or television or radio appearances, and of course. Uh, The name of the book is called Free the Press, now in its third printing. So I'd like to thank everybody for joining us. And, Ryan, thank you very much. We'd love to have you back, particularly when we talk about uh, more uh, military stuff, which we do on occasion. So thanks for joining us. We'll catch you all next time.